Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friends, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hi! And Dan. Hi! Today we're talking about the movie Don't Think Twice and the idea of following your dreams. So, spoiler alert, sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So guys, uh, total transparency, we are three uh, improvisers, so I think we were kind of predisposed to enjoy this movie. Absolutely, and I was predisposed to be distraught by this movie as they address very real topics of how improv is kind of just a phase. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Mike Birbiglia's character actually says you can't just do improv forever or something like that. So naturally, I enjoyed the fact it destroyed me. (laughs) Yeah, I felt very, not existential, like it wasn't that bad, but I was definitely like, what am I supposed to do by the end of the movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a sense of, all right, well, I'm moving on from college. I'm not really going to get many opportunities Mm -hmm. to improvise. So I guess, well, see you later. Yeah, it was very sad (laughs) and kind of eye-opening, but... uh. There were also parts that made me laugh, so that was fun. Oh yeah, it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the characters are all really fun, and I think they are. They do represent the different people you would see in a improv troupe pretty well. Yeah, even improv troupe aside, I love the the tight knit group that they uh, establish and portray right off the bat. This is a group of very close and different individuals with their own separate lives and like aspirations as we find out as well yeah and they all sort of like support each other uh sort of through this like distraction that Mm -hmm. we have like we all have this common aspect of being in this troop together and we have fun outside of this troop but none of us necessarily really expect to make it big Mm -hmm. we all are sort of here as a hobby because it's the only alleviation that we have out of our shitty jobs. And like throughout the movie, we sort of see a few of these characters break free from this just being a dream. And how that affects the group. Right. Yeah, I I enjoyed that. It wasn't just how fame affects a person. It was like how it affects the rest of your friend group and like your life, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a pretty interesting thing that you don't necessarily see all the time. Yeah, in the sense that it's it's rare for a movie to not just give like a character to character breakdown, but I, I love it when a film shows like a, a cohesive group as a whole, whether that's like Dead Poet Society mm-hmm. or just those artistic groups that flourish off of each other. Yeah. Um, one aspect that I loved about the movie was seeing the ramifications of one character who's a uh, Keegan making it to what would be viewed as the Saturday Night Live of that universe. Uh, Weekend Weekend Live. Live. Yeah, Yeah. so he made it to Weekend Live um, as a writer and an actor? Or is Mm -hmm. it just assumed that if you're an actor, you're also a writer? I think he's paired with a writer. Okay. That's what that was. Part of it, he's on the show, but um, he actually gets a little bit of like a wake-up call. So um, he writes his own scenes and is also given the opportunity to write, but he acts in the show. Mm-hmm. And then I guess he thinks like, oh, I'm funny. Like I, I made it here. So I obviously I'm good. And one of the, I think it's just a writer is like, 
you're not versatile. Like, you can write your own scenes that you star in, but, like, you can't write scenes for other people. And so he gets like, like oh, I thought I was the best because I'm here, but it turns out uh, there are... Count yourself even... lucky that I'm even here and not yeah. fired on the first day of the job. Yeah, so, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, and that was another aspect of we see him make the fame and members in his friend group sort of start to grow resentful towards that. But we see that Keegan's life isn't perfect once he makes it to the quote unquote fame. Like even once he quote unquote makes it, he still has to be working his butt off just to keep up with everyone he's around. Whereas the friend group all now see him as, oh, like you made it like congrats. Now look at us. We're kind of stuck here. Mm -hmm. It kind of has this aspect of being a big fish in a little pond. Like he might have been the best out of that group, um, which I wouldn't even necessarily say, but. He might have been the best out of that group, but then when he gets into the pool of, like, the best of the best, now it's like, oh, like, now I'm struggling to be good. Like, maybe this wasn't all I was cracked up to be. Yeah, it's very evident that he's out of his depth and, like, even struggling to maintain his healthy relationship with Sam, his, uh, the fellow member of the the troop and also girlfriend at the time that they established or living together very Mm -hmm. early on, and... Um, I believe it's the, uh, the opening sort of, uh, show where it's like, oh, there's a, there's a, like a scout, a talent mm-hmm. scout, or whatever, and the audience guys or whatever, and they're sort of joking, it's like, oh, we're trying not to hog the show or whatever, uh, Key's character and like, haha. And it's just, uh, it's just Sam and, uh, Jack's characters that get, uh, uh, selected to audition for Weekend Live or SNL or whatever. Right. And so immediately we see a power shift where there are there are members of the troop who have had opportunities to audition and then didn't make it and sort of live vicariously through that almost opportunity and then there are others who have never had the chance and also right at that moment uh one of the improv troops fathers uh gets into a motorcycle accident or Mm -hmm. life just literally gets in the way it's like wow i can't believe I missed this once in a lifetime opportunity because of this other tragedy that like is going on. Now I feel even worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great reveal to show the type of character Keegan is mm-hmm. because he gets the phone call that he's auditioning for Weekend Live. He walks into the room to reveal it to everyone and sees that there's been a tragedy. And instead of thinking to himself, now's not a good time. He still goes ahead and shares his amazing news of getting an audition. And it's kind of like, oh, Keegan's sort of the main character, but he's not going to be the likable character. Yeah. yeah. Um, that scene where the character Bill comes in and reveals his dad um, was in an accident. This movie had a lot of nice showcase of like improv culture, I guess. So like he comes in and everyone starts joking around like, where were you? And he's like, oh, sorry, I missed the show. And then everyone starts like doing an impression oh, of him and they have to like, he has to be like, no, stop, not, not right now. And there's another scene where, where they're in the bar or whatever. Yeah, it's like, the <laughs> they're like characters. doing a bit. I'm like, oh, that's what we always say. Yeah, like, she... oh, we're doing a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just a nice uh, show of improv culture that you don't really see. Yeah. And when I think about myself, like living outside of the world of improv, I think like, well, it still comes out with me like in my personality, in my friend group, um, up in the classroom, like I still use a lot of aspects of improv to have fun, but also just to communicate. 
with peers, with coworkers, with administration, and with my students. Yeah. And then so. they look at you like you're a freaking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we all, s- you, you can sort of like have your hobbies and still, you know, live a, guess, a normal life, whatever that means. Um, but this movie doesn't really explore that as an option. It's kind of, it kind of presents like you either get to do improv or you don't which I don't think is uh, really true. My, I guess, one critique of it is Mike Birbiglia's character. It, by the end of it, he pretty much goes like, I guess it's time to grow up, grow up. I can't do improv anymore. And it's presented as a punishment, but he didn't really deserve a punishment. So it, it was just very weird to me. Like, it felt weird watching it. That's interesting. Um, I definitely didn't get that sense of punishment, but there was that sort of sadness to it i can Mm -hmm. agree with that but i think it was more so under the preemptive nostalgia of Mm -hmm. moving forward and just like kind of like senior year of college like you know like you're gonna be leaving this behind and it's sad but you also know that this is what you've been working for anyway yeah you're trying uh, to get into the world he's willingly accepting the burden of like uh actual like adulthood and the responsibilities that come with it is what I took away from his sort of arc. Yeah, which I, I can recognize as like, it could seem like a punishment, and it definitely at times, living in adulthood, <laughs> oh, it feels like a punishment. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that was my like predisposition to it, because I, you know, I'm very young, so he becomes a basically a stepdad to this kid, to a woman he dated years ago, and so I was like, fuck that, like that is totally not what I, I want to do. I don't want to grow up, yeah. I want to be a Toys R Us kid. Oh, rip. <laughs> no! Toys R Us, guys. It's okay. It's only for, I mean, Amazon. I mean, we all saw it coming. Yeah. (laughs) It's basically our fault. Um, So, (laughs) that's right. You killed Toys R Us. Fucking millennials killing another industry. Um, But yeah, it was, there was just like you said, like a sadness to it. He clearly did not seem happy with his choice, but I guess maybe that was the point. Maybe he wasn't happy with it. So, yeah, that was just my one kind of critique of the movie. They were pretty much like, yeah, you either get to do what you like or you don't. Yeah, I agree. It definitely dealt with extremes of either you pursue your dream or you are a responsible adult. And it didn't seem like there was a middle ground, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in this friend group, because they got that theater. They decided, like, we're going to start presenting here in this theater and it required all of them to sort of quit their backup plans in order to truly pursue this. But if they stayed with their backup plans, they wouldn't get to participate in this theater. Like there was no in between one foot in, one foot out. Mm-hmm. Which I think can be true in some situations. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is musicians oftentimes have to decide like, am I truly going to pursue this 100% because I think that my backup plan or my safety net is holding me back. It's not letting me go on tour. It's not letting me do this or do that. And because I'm not treating this as a career, that's the reason I'm not successful. A lot of these sort of art, especially performing arts, it's you got to put your all into it or else there's almost no point trying to keep it afloat. Like our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Remember to tell your friends about us, please. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. 
All right, so I just wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple of friends. Uh, Joe Mastando, Nick, you're a sack of potatoes. Lenny, Tyler, you guys are great. I love watching you on Instagram and pursuing your pros and icons band. And hopefully this shout out will also give us publicity because you're going to share this, right? And we we know if you won't. Because <laughs> we'll we continue have, floundering. Yeah. We'll blame our lack of success on you, not... Yeah. Which leads back into when Jack finally lands his gig with the the weekend live. Suddenly, his old troops like, "Hey, can you put in a good word for us? Can you slide this on so and so's desk?" When he's already experiencing that pressure to even keep the position that he worked so hard to like attain and like abandon his friends to even keep, and yeah. even that's in jeopardy, and he feels like he doesn't have that. I really like that aspect because it was kind of like no one was in the right. Like, yeah. everyone was sort of like, he was kind of a dick, but also they're trying really hard to use him while he's trying really hard to keep his job, but also he feels like he's above them. And, like, there's, like, yeah. this dynamic and this resentment that it's all justified, but no one is right. Yeah. <laughs> I think even, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember he brings their writing to the boss and he's like look man do you know how many people like bring me writing samples like i'm not going to read your friends writing samples and then they take that as like you didn't even ask him did you and it's like no he tried real hard but you know yeah. like went against the advice of his co-worker and presented it anyway and yeah. got shot the hell down. and it was, he was kind of in a position to either say no, I didn't try, and that way they can feel good about their art still. Mm -hmm. Or he can be like, no, I really tried, but they just didn't give two shits about your writing. But yeah. how he decided to present that was, look, all I can do is slide it through the door for you. Like, the rest is on your onus, is, is if your material is good or not. And another character within the group, um, was it the... Lindsay, the, the more overweight uh, character who's living with her parents still, mm -hmm. I believe, and is sort of relying on her uh, um, on her silver spoon and sort of her lot in life. She uh, she makes it as a writer at the uh, the weekend live, and there is just an immediate resentment felt by the group that it's like, oh wow, I can't believe that you've been like coasting along through life and presented with this opportunity. She's almost like, f you guys, I worked like hard on my writing and i wrote something that was actually good i'm yeah. sorry that your doodle book you've been working on for 10 years like you can't even finish oh, that yeah. Oh, yeah. They've, they've all been such close friends for so long that they it's know they know how to hurt each other yeah. it is so evident and i think it comes back to this topic that we talked about in luck of the irish which is you can't blame the other person for having opportunities and you can't blame the other person for getting to live with their parents and having that silver spoon, but it still might develop like feelings of resentment. Like it's no yeah. one's fault that it's happening, but that communication is key to maintaining yeah. that healthy Layered relationship. Layered with something as subjective as comedy where it's either like, yeah, or I believe it was presented with Mike's Mike's character is like, you either have it or you don't. And let me, like, Lindsay's character is like, after she's been uh, targeted the group, it's like, Yo, let me tell you, Mike, you, you never had it. Yeah. <laughs> it is some, it hits close to home. 
Yeah, uh, speaking of it being close to home, I think this is an idea like everyone deals with at some point in their lives of deciding, am I going to follow my dreams? Are my dreams attainable? What do I have to give up to follow my dreams? And things like that, um, which is always never very fun to do. because more <laughs> Which often... is always never fun to do. Yeah, that is a direct quote. <laughs> I, I think it's because more often than not, People have to go, nope, I guess I'll do something else. Like, I can't. I could see that, yeah. Um, especially with the idea of safety nets and whether you have them or not or is, is going to make a big difference. Uh, you think about, I, I mean, I always think about because acting was one of my things, the different types of actors that made it. Some of them live in studio apartments with three roommates and cockroaches everywhere for a couple of years before making it. Others just happen to be at the right place at the right time and also are talented. And so there's this aspect of, well, some of them got luckier than others, but there's also the bootstraps um, scenario. What is that called? The expression. Theory. Bootstrap mm. Bill, Pirates of the Caribbean, Will's <laughs> father. You got it. <laughs> um, so for me, I've, I've wanted to be a teacher for... A long time and it was always this sense of I enjoy one feeling superior no I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, <laughs> this joy of seeing someone else get it and I think what it started out as was me feeling accomplished that I helped someone else understand it but eventually it broadened to something a little more selfless which was recognizing that I'm helping someone else and knowing that they're gonna be moving forward with at least a little bit more than what they had when they came to yeah. me. And even though you doing that, did that still further serve to feed back into your desire to be a teacher? Or was that almost cathartic in a sense? Like, wow, is it, I'm glad I was able to contribute. And did you feel less inspired to, to chase that dream of, it, of being a teacher? Uh, I think it helped. I think it was not necessarily an epiphany, but just as I grew over time, like, a lot of my motivations were selfish and then I started to recognize different types of positive consequences with that and said these are things that I should hold on to more tightly than the selfish reasons. Okay. Like, um, only reason I bring that up is because just there's just this studied psychological effect where the act of saying you're going to accomplish something, like posting it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, is gives off the same like endorphins of you like accomplishing it whatever it's like wow i'm gonna start on that project today i'm working on it instead of just actually doing right doing and it, yeah and, and it makes people and then how inspired were you really to begin with if that's all it took i see no you're right <laughs> and it, it makes people complacent because they mm -hmm. get the adrenaline rush from the post and then it's sort of like well i did i got the rush that i needed i don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to start it up i did not fall into that trap necessarily um, but there are definitely difficult aspects of teaching and there's definitely that secondary dream of like acting or like coaching something along those lines of pursuing, I guess in my mind, a more creative, it's still somewhat teaching in my <laughs> mind, but it's a, a creative outlet that I don't necessarily have teaching mathematics. Um, and so I did feel like I had to give something up in order to continue to pursue the 
secure, there's air quotes there, a position of teaching? I would say for me personally, I almost have a uh, an adverse view um, for my life at least. Not to say like, oh, I never made it, so I just have to settle. It's I'm good with technology, but let me use that to just land the uh, the cubicle job to make a comfortable enough living so I can enjoy my my hobbies still on the side or whatever and not further and like perhaps prevent myself from further developing and growing them and just like have to make my enough time to pursue them on my own and not pursue it to sustain my life <laughs> yeah the, you guys bring up good points of either sort of tweaking your um like what you what like your heart wants to like what you know intellectually is like the best idea and to also just like doing something so you can enjoy what your heart wants like on the side you made me feel so much better about giving up on my dreams (laughs) (laughs) um so like we like we were saying um the the movie kind of presents it as one or the other but dan it seems like you figured out a way where you can you know, be an adult, but still do what you enjoy. It's called giving up. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex, you said you you sort of mentioned like kind I sort of, of you I sort of compromised them. with yeah. myself. Like meet me halfway. Yeah, dream exactly. and practicality. <laughs> yeah. And neither of them showed up. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm similarly in your boat, Alex. Uh, I've always wanted to kind of perform. Um, but as I got older, I kind of realized that wasn't necessarily something that could be done easily. And so I was like, what's a quote unquote practical job that kind of involves theatrics? I'll perform in the courtroom. Yeah. (laughs) And lie. (laughs) You know, like a liar. liar. (laughs) Um, so... And obviously it's not so cut and dry as like, oh, I'll just, you know, get to act (laughs) <laughs> but for money and for and for a courtroom but i'm I, glad that's not what you think no yeah <laughs> um but it is sort of a hey like maybe i get to use some of the stuff i Apply like to do these talents that you've developed yeah yeah and so um i think that is an option people can and should consider but the movie kind of ignores yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense that, like, the only reason I'm so good at computers is because I wanted to figure out how all these complicated video editing programs work or whatever. It's like, oh, how do you use Adobe? And just inherently, it's like, well, I learned how to use the most complicated thing in the world. I guess everything else now will just come naturally. Yeah. <laughs> well, that worked out. Clearly. <laughs> um, and there's also that sense of judgment you get as you're making that decision there's definitely a lot of societal pressure for millennials to be like you have to pursue your dream Mm -hmm. like and this is an old adage not just for millennials but it's definitely come up more often i feel with us of if you love what you're doing you won't work a day in your life and although that's existed for a long time there's kind of this expectation of you have to choose that if you're not Mm -hmm happy with your job then everything else is going to be downhill don't expect anything to be fixed for you and don't come crying to me when you want to quit and no (laughs) there's definitely an in-between there like if my job is bearable then i can also do plenty of stuff outside of those work hours 
Yeah, I think that what Dan was getting at, and I think that's a really good option of just sort of like, okay, yeah, like work isn't the best, but I don't hate myself. But also, you know, I get to go golfing on the weekends. Having that separation where you're able to still sustain yourself and be happy with Mm -hmm. yourself is important, I believe. Yeah, man, I keep work at work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely, like, obviously there are extreme cases where if you absolutely hate your job, yeah, maybe you should start thinking about, let's find a better middle ground than I hate my job, but I'm making six figures and therefore providing for my family. But also I never see my kids. And so they don't know who their father is, but I feed them and they don't have to worry about like new clothes, but they're also developing uh, psychological issues of single parentness and knowing they're made more than they know their parent. Oh, I'm going too far. <laughs> <laughs> now you're speaking from the okay. <laughs> I think you speak for all of us. When you... <laughs> so we've, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but... What's sort of a way that in our three different fields we can maybe have like a practical version of like what our dream job would be? Or like what's a hobby that would allow us to do that? I would say my practical dream job scenario that I always like uh, rattle around in my head, it's either editing for a famous YouTuber or whatever, whether I'm making their vlogs and their annoying ass little uh handles and inserting all their jokes that i don't find funny it's either editing for one of those guys or whenever you're watching like a behind the scenes with a a film or whatever directors will always talk about how they're super close with their editors to like make sure what they have in their mind is like being executed it's having one of those relationships with the director where we're working in tandem to execute on an idea I'm definitely a big fan of having an idea and seeing it come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So if I were to think of an ideal, it would definitely bounce between like actor or director. Um, I don't think I'm great at writing, but I'm great at seeing an idea and then helping them enhance that idea. Basically, what I would like to be is a consultant um, in some form of media artistically Someone has this like book idea or this play idea, this movie idea, and I would give in my two cents of, well, here's what I like about it. Um, here's the parts that make me feel uh, iffy, and here's the parts that absolutely, based on my experience, will not work out. Yeah. I will say, in defense of your, your dream and why I think you would be great for it, is you have a great distinction between identifying someone's vision and then the practicality of the execution of what they're doing on said vision. I'm I, like, um, like, I'm sure they'll like tell you what they want preserved, but you can usually identify as like, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. However, you can still keep what you're trying to do and present it in a more digestible manner or something. Yeah, um, I took a test about, it was like the strength, like your best strengths leadership thing. Um, And it basically gives you a survey and then it identifies your best three qualifiers. And my number one is an activator, which means I'm not the one with the idea, but I'm the one where when you hear an idea, I go, all right, well, what's the next step then? What are we going to do? Let's work with that idea. Uh, How practical is it? Can we do this instead? And type of stuff. So 
I'm terrible at original things, but I'm great at latching on to someone else and saying, <laughs> you know, like a parasite. <laughs> this was our idea. <laughs> um, and the only reason I don't see that as practical for me is just because of the track that I'm already on. I'm kind of content with where I am. I'm not looking to live the life and I'm not looking to struggle either. <laughs> I'm not looking to struggle to reach I'll that. I'll observe your struggle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that much of a dream. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Lay it on us, Joe. What you got? Uh, similarly, I don't know if I'm great at writing. Uh, I think I have some gems, but they're buried in like a lot of sand that you got to... <laughs> get to now but... steven universe already exists you oh yeah you're use right. that yeah, idea. So... gems already a concept um, i feel like if i was in a writer's room where like a bunch of people could riff ideas off of each other i think i could do well in that environment but if someone were to say like hey you need to fill in 12 pages of script and there has to be like 100 jokes i don't <laughs> know if i could do that um so I, I you're think, a riffer. Yeah, I'm a riffer. <laughs> so I, I guess like similarly to and we you, need that like, half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I def I definitely think if I could work with a bunch of other people, or uh, I could work at my own pace, like you get an episode every two years. <laughs> um, it's I, sort of like yeah. Sam's character in the movie Don't Think Twice, where she personally feels she performs and works better in a group yeah where, like if when she is sort of given that opportunity it's like oh you should like sub in for my class and like teach or whatever and then she's super uncomfortable with it it turns out she sort of takes an immediate liking to it and mm -hmm. uh that's cool but she initially felt whatever it's like oh i i perform at my best in these environments yeah like she yeah, didn't even want to audition like she ran away from the audition mm -hmm. and that's why keegan was the only one who got the position yeah. And he just couldn't wrap his mind around, around that why idea. she would like, want. Why would you throw away this dream? And she's like, "This is your dream." <laughs> and he's no, like, "Dad, I'm giving up on yours." <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, not everyone has my dream." Like that what? blew his mind. Yeah. So why would you even throw away that opportunity? Like what? <laughs> I will say, when I think about my ideal dream, there are plenty of things I need to work on. Um, I have mm -hmm. put myself. In many situations where people ask me for feedback and then I give too much feedback or my criticisms aren't constructive enough where I just like feel like, well, this isn't working. And because I don't really have any reason for it, it's more of like a gut feeling. It comes off really, really harsh. And so something I would need to work on is identifying how much feedback they want and then working from there. And it really does feed back into the whole collaboration. Like you're able to express and develop at your best when you're like flourishing off the ideas and criticisms of other people. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know too many creatives or even friends in my life that solely can uh, gather that whole inspiration just from within themselves. Like it's a, it's a community and an environment and it needs to thrive in yeah i took a class uh my senior year where we basically talked about the idea of creativity and we talked about a lot of stuff like how we kind of perceive creativity as oh you write a book or a script 
And the whole point of the class was like, no, you could do creative things and whatever, whether you're a teacher, you can be creative in this way. Or if you are like a salesman or a chef, you could be creative in this way. And so very often we would fill up, like we would answer a question of like, how do you get in a creative mindset? And pretty much everyone said, yeah, I work best in groups. Like if I can have at least one other person to kind of like just talk to, it's a lot easier than like being by myself. Uh, that reminds me of that Tumblr post about um, programmers who use rubber ducks to sort of solve their problems. So it's called rubber duck debugging. And it's this idea that when a programmer works by themselves, they have a really hard time explaining what to do and what not to do. And thus it makes it really hard to find a solution to some sort of problem. So what they have is like literally a physical rubber duck in front of them and they start explaining what the issue is to this duck. And eventually by explaining it out loud, they recognize the problem like way sooner. Like they could have been spending weeks on this problem and in a few hours talking to a duck, they'll realize what the problem is. And there is this story on Tumblr that talked about this really difficult problem that this engineer had and he ended up like borrowing a bunch of his programmer's friends ducks and like would be like, all right, let's get the council together because this is <laughs> this is such a big problem that we have to get the duck council together. And by being able to explain it to more ducks, it was just like a physical interpretation of this metaphor that is I need to talk it out. And the more ducks there were, the bigger the problem and the easier the solution would be based on the number of ducks that are going to be consulting with you. Yeah. And it was a, a very amusing aspect and sort of rings true to this idea that you can't do it alone. And humans aren't really built to do it alone to the point that they're like creating personas through these inanimate objects to not be alone with their problem. And to actually voice their ideas and talk it out with themselves like for sure absolutely language is our way to like really narrow in on what our ideas are so it's one of those reasons that if you have a thought some people need to finish that sentence thought in their head in order to complete the actual idea like they have the inspiration but if they don't write it down if they don't like talk it out loud it's like gone somehow so don't think twice about that thought <laughs> instead talk to a rubber duck tune in next week when we talk about the movie would you rather and other teen party games that should or shouldn't be turned into horror movies thank you all again and if you were driving we hope you got to your destination safely and on time <laughs>